I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Listen, guys, you know it, we know it, everybody knows it. A list is coming where I do a list of the top 10 lists I've ever done. Because I like to play with a theme. With that in mind, I'm Sean Ferrick for Trek Culture, and here are the 10 most meta Star Trek moments. Number 10, Irish reunification. This is a topic that's been covered on this channel time and time again, because it's even more prescient now than it was then. In 1990, the episode The High Ground detailed a conversation between Picard and Data, where Data said that armed rebellion sometimes leads to good political change, and he cites the Irish reunification of 2022 as one of those reasons. Now, I am recording this in 2021, and doesn't look like Irish reunification is going to be happening anytime soon. However, this was a comment on the ongoing troubles that were happening at the time. It was also the fact that the Good Friday Agreement was way off in the future. Nobody could see an end to the hostilities. This was Star Trek going, listen, just because you can't see it now doesn't mean it might not happen in the future. But of course, because Data was saying, well, you know, terrorism basically paid off, the episode got itself fairly censored fairly quickly. Number nine, Bell and Lukai. The third season of the original series of Star Trek is, it's got a bit of a bad rep because production values were a little bit lower. They'd had a slash budget and there are a few duds in the season. Let That Be Your Last Battlefield is not one of those duds. Bell and Lukai have this ongoing hatred for each other that comes down to racial segregation. Bell, you see, is black on this side and white on this side, whereas Lukai is white on this side and black on this side. This difference has been enough to tear their entire world apart, leading to an endless civil war that, by the episode's end, actually shows that, no, the entire civilization is gone. This was Star Trek going, this is such a ridiculous reason for people to be divided, simply the colour of their skin. Now, in the 1960s, the Civil Rights Act was really, really gaining momentum. So this was a very, very, very openly political statement. What's that? Oh, Star Trek doesn't do politics? Oh, OK, yeah. I think we can all see what Roddenberry was trying to say here. Number eight, save the whales. 
Star Trek IV The Voyage Home has kind of got the loving subtitle of The One with the Whales. It is probably the most openly environmentally conservative film of the lot. And what I mean by that is that Leonard Nimoy, when directing this, he knew exactly what he was doing with this film. He was going to go lighter than the last couple of films, but he also wanted to deliver a really timely message. You know, in the middle of the 1980s, the world was in... It was in a scary place. Cold War was still ongoing. Nuclear experimentation was still a thing. We had the Chernobyl disaster. You know, basically, things were not looking very good for the environment. Using the idea that in the future, man's short-sightedness would have, in fact, doomed the planet, this was a way of going to the audience, hey, could you not, maybe, wipe out entire species? Just a thought and how it would pay off for humanity in dividends. It's one of the lighter films, it's good fun, and that scene where we see footage of whales being killed, less fun, more horrific, but it works. Number seven, Musk Motivation. No, this is not an entry about the power of smell and how that can make you do stuff. No, in season one of Star Trek Discovery, Elon Musk is dropped by name by Captain Lorca. I remember at the time watching this and going like, okay, didn't this is a bit modern. Musk has been a strong proponent about sort of the modern space race. Now, we've only seen very recently about, you know, Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos and, of course, Musk himself and their race to get up to space in commercially available rockets or whatever Bezos took up. And Musk was the first. His Dragon X program really did get this new era of space exploration going. Now, okay, we're still in its in its infancy, but it has been restarted again, largely thanks to his efforts. So for Star Trek, of all franchises, to drop his name, it's, it's very much a nod to the importance of modern voices in getting people interested in exploring space again. Number six, time travel, thanks to Doc Brown. In Star Trek IV, the one with the whales, the crew of the Enterprise goes back in time by flinging their Klingon bird of prey around the sun. Boom, time warp, you're laughing. Where do they get that bird of prey? Go back to the previous film, Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. Commander Krug attacks the Enterprise, crippling it. It's curtains for the old girl. While the Enterprise self-destructs, Kirk and crew manage to commandeer Krug's bird of prey. This is the bird of prey that becomes their time machine. Commander Krug was played by Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd is, of course, Doc Emmett Brown from the Back to the Future movies. So the fact that Doc Emmett Brown is responsible for the crew of the Enterprise going back in time is, in my opinion, bloody meta, and it's so 80s, and I love it. God, I love this film. Number five, The Dreamer and the Dream. Now, Far Beyond the Stars is very rightly lauded as one of the best episodes of Star Trek that's ever been released. It deals with Sisko being given visions by the prophets, wherein he is the 1950s Benny Russell, a struggling sci-fi writer who also has to contend with the crime of being black in America in the 50s. This episode hits hard, but the main point of this entry is this was Star Trek effectively going we know we're in a construct world. We know we are all part of a writer's imagination. Now, in the episode, it's Benny Russell. In the grand scheme of things, it's Gene Roddenberry, it's Ronald D. Moore, it's, 
It's all of these producers and writers that come together to make this world. Cisco's closing question to the audience, which is, which is real, the dreamer or the dream, can be either very, very disturbing or very, very liberating. He goes to the window and he sees the reflection of Benny Russell looking back at him. Now, there was a fun tidbit that the end of DS9 in the episode What You Leave Behind, producer Iris Stephen Bear wanted to end with revelation that it was all happening in Benny Russell's head. However, this would also have placed the original series The Next Generation and Voyager in Benny's head as well. And understandably, yeah, people stepped in and said, maybe not, Ira, but I like your moxie. Number four. Star Trek honors its most famous moment. So we've all seen Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan and we all remember Admiral Kirk screaming into that communicator after Ricardo Montalban hisses at him, buried alive, buried alive. It's iconic, it's fantastic. Everyone is chewing all of the parts of the scenery. It's wonderful. Along comes Star Trek Into Darkness. Now, Star Trek Into Darkness is, for all intents and purposes, a remake of Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. Now that in itself is not the end of the world. There are many good remakes out there. However, you have this moment that is so well known. That is just, it's everyone, everyone knows the can scream. They choose to not only recreate the can scream, but by flipping it to the fact that it's Kirk who has died and Spock screams out can, having been mildly upset moments before, it is ridiculous. It uh, does not suit the character, it does not suit the film. And I know, I know I rag on Star Trek Into Darkness a lot, okay? But this moment in particular, where it was directly meant to be a, hey, do you remember this bit from The Wrath of Khan? This moment, if nothing else went, I really, really wish I was just watching Wrath of Khan right now. Sorry. Number three. Romulan Dunkirk. Now, Remembrance, which is the first episode of Star Trek Picard, has an incredible scene between Jean-Luc and the interviewer from the Federation News Network. This is on the anniversary of Romulan supernova and the disaster of the Mars attacks. In this conversation, the reporter challenges Picard on, you know, why was so much time and energy put into saving Romulan lives? And he stops her. And he says, no, 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 not Romulan lives, lives. And he likens it to Dunkirk. Dunkirk was, of course, the evacuation of hundreds of thousands of British soldiers from France that were being basically pushed out into the sea by the Axis powers. From a military standpoint, Dunkirk was a defeat. However, from a emotional standpoint, it was a huge victory because it wasn't just the, the military that came together to save these people. It was also, for want of a better word, common folk, lay folk who had access to boats that came, rescued and did their part. What Star Trek Picard is doing here is saying that, no, this was not simply a case of one power sending its, you know, the fleet to save another power. This was, in Picard's opinion, the idea of, Lives need to be saved. It doesn't matter how it gets done. It just needs to be done. Damn everything else. It's, it's a big scene in scope, but a small scene in runtime. And yet it really, really stands out in this episode. Number two, superstition as religion. 
In Who Watches the Watchers, the third season episode of The Next Generation that introduces the Mentakans and the Mentakan tapestry from the back of Picard's chair for the rest of forever, Picard is accidentally seen as a deity by these people. Now, they're a pre-warp civilization, but they have moved away from their belief in the superstitious. However, the technology of the 24th century is seen as effectively magic to them. The researchers who had been on the planet before, one of them has been taken hostage by the Mintakans. Another advises Picard, lean into this. You know, they think you're a god, act like one. You know, threaten them to say that, you know, you will be displeased if they don't give back this life. And Picard shuts that down. He's like, no, these people have come away from centuries of superstition and dark ages, and you want me to put them back into that? Absolutely not. There's little secret of the idea that Gene Roddenberry did not want organized religion in Star Trek in the future because he felt that humanity would have evolved beyond the need for a belief in the supernatural at this point. Now that is not to say that you know, belief itself doesn't exist in Star Trek, even as early as the original series. But of course, certainly Deep Space Nine would le lean far heavier into that. This is what Roddenberry was saying. Don't go backward. Go forward, however easy the temptation to go backwards can be. It's maybe not the most remembered episode of all time, but it is a one for putting across one of Roddenberry's core beliefs. Number one, sanctuary districts. In season three of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, in the episodes past tense one and two, Bashir, Dax and Sisko are accidentally thrown back in time to the 21st century in San Francisco. There, they discover sanctuary districts. These are fenced off areas of the city where the homeless and the jobless are just sort of tossed. And it's initially, it's about helping these people get back on their feet, but really all it is, is just so that you can sweep the problem away and the people who have money and have jobs and have homes don't have to see it. Under the Trump administration, there were discussions of creating, they didn't use the word sanctuary districts, but areas where the homeless problem, as it was called, in both San Francisco and Los Angeles could be taken out of the line of sight from the people who just don't want to see this kind of stuff. Now, considering that administration's uh, history with putting people in cages, this got really close to happening. Now, thankfully it didn't, and that administration is no longer in power. However, that's how close it can come. The sanctuary districts of past tense were Star Trek's way of going, just because you try and hide something, it doesn't mean it goes away. It's aged both well and a little frighteningly in the time since those episodes aired. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.